This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Last week, we were joined here in the WFHB studios by Maquiba Reese, named president of the Monroe County Branch NAACP this past January. She brought in with her a couple of colleagues and friends, Monroe County Prosecutor Erica Oliphant and longtime area legal researcher and advocate Guy Loftman. We spoke about the history of the NAACP, and it's a long and treasured history in this nation, but Maquiba pointed out that for all the macro history and accomplishments of the national organization, what's most important today is the micro story. What are we doing here and now, in this state, in this county, in this city, to rectify the problems the injustices, and the very inequality that has bedeviled us since long before Ida B. Wells, W.E.B. Du Bois, and the rest founded the NAACP back in 1909. Today, we present part two of that conversation. If you missed last week's programs, go to WFHB.org for the podcast of that edition and all past editions of Big Talk. Now, let's get right to Maquiba Reese, Erica Oliphant, and Guy Loftman. This is Big Talk. We've been speaking about problems with Maquiba Reese, with Erica Oliphant, with Guy Loftman. These problems seem mountainous. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic? You know what? In order to remain sane, you have to be optimistic. And I think that hope is what's keeping me um, focused. And again, I said that Brian Stevenson is one of the individuals I look up to. Uh, One of the things he said in in the interview, he said, those that experience brokenness know what it means to advocate for the broken and hearted. And so my heart is broken. My heart is broken for the systems that we that are put in place. Um, We need to identify white supremacy and, and really lean into the fact that white supremacy, supreme dominance is what's causing um, separation and constantly building oppressed systems. And so we have to understand why do why, why are people so fascinated with power and money and capitalism and all the things like that. And so my heart is broken. But the thing is, is that in order to remain um, steadfast, I am optimistic in hope in believing that me as an individual that's merciless in the face of injustice, I'm not going to give up. And I think that that's that it's the call for all of us to get it together, especially for our brothers and sisters in our community. Maquiba, what you've just said makes me think of a quote I read from you, and it is this. Being a black woman in America is just hard. Mm-hmm. And then you add, being black in America is just hard. I believe that it's hard because I don't want to continuously explain my experiences and feel gaslit when I share those experiences. And so being uh, gaslighting your experiences or like, oh, you're overdramatic. That part is the hard part. Is you navigate- get that. Oh, 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like all the time? I wouldn't say all the time because um, I don't really look for it. It probably happens and I don't really pay attention to it um, anymore. But those that are listening and that are young and up and coming av- advocates and activists, um, shout out to the IU NAACP chapter because they are doing incredible work um, leading the way. Uh, Black Student Union. Um, there's different organizations out at Kelly, um, all these different organizations. I want to make sure that I'm speaking to the young people and knowing that, you know, this this might be hard. It might be difficult. But the thing is, is that you we need we need all of our voices. Um, and so I did say that I said that in the heart of 2020 and it was very difficult. Personally, I was experiencing depression. I'm sure a lot of individuals have experienced depression, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. I do go to therapy. I take care of my mental health. Uh, yeah, that was a depressed moment. Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, 2020 was really, really uh, difficult um, in navigating. Um, but the thing is that it did expose a lot of um, inequities that already existed for decades, for years, hundreds of years. Um, and so we have to pay attention to that. The news came down this past week that uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson was uh, retiring. Sure. As uh, head of Rainbow Push, yeah, the organization that uh, he helped found, yeah, and uh, and it was interesting. I started doing a lot of more reading into uh, Jesse Jackson's life, and one of the things I found was that a lot of people said he was obsessive about belonging, about being respected, about accomplishing things, about being in the center of action, and that was because. He wasn't in his mind in this society. So he had to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing you know about at all? I mean, I again, black people were not monolithic. His experience is different than my experience. And so I, I, I agree that if that's how he felt, then that's how he felt. And so um, his experiences are real. Jesse Jack, Reverend Jesse Jackson is an icon to me. I look up to him because of the work that he chose to do. And him stepping down isn't a failure. It's him giving, knowing that there's another generation that's ready. We're not afraid of the various um, insidious systems that uh, navig- that we're navigating. We're ready. We're not afraid of it. Um, so even though, like I said before with that quote, I know that it's hard and difficult, but we're here. I'm serving as the president, first female president, and I'm taking it, um, all the things that we're doing and listening to individuals. I want to give a shout out to all of our executive board members, um, Jim Sims, who's the vice president, Reverend William Vance, Reverend William Vance, sorry, a second vice president. We have Gloria Howe, Dr. Gloria Howe, who's the secretary, who's the most important individual in the chapter. We have Ruth Ite. We have Beverly Callender Anderson. We have, I can keep going, right? And so I think that it's really important to know that intergenerational advocacy is extremely important because a lot of people put onus on the millennials and so it's something that we got to pay attention to dave jones is very much an advocate of ensuring that you know millennials are voting you have guy lofman right we have william morris we have william morris we have margie rice we have al mans i mean i can keep naming these individuals and the good thing is that it's intergenerational uh so we got to pay attention to this fact that we need all the voices and um i think young people are ready we're ready to um to change the system well that brings up an interesting point maquiba uh back in the late 60s a lot of the young civil rights organizations, uh, 
SNCC, uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Black Panthers, sort of viewed the NAACP as old hat. Sure. Does Does that run these days? Again, our experiences are different. You know yeah. what I mean? I came from a different era. Um, I think the NAACP definitely had its issues where it needed to um, match the times. I think that there was some hard times with um, various organizations and maybe perceived as radical. Um, there's definitely a shift. I think that people need to look into our um, AAADA, AAADS department at IU because that's not my, um, I'm not an expert in uh, those different uh, advocacy groups, but I, their experiences were real to them. If they felt like the NAACP wasn't a part or supporting them back then, then that was real for them. For me and what I'm doing today, I know the issues of our current day. And that's something that I pay attention to. And I understand history is very important in making sure that we not censor those different voices that want to be involved with the NAACP. So here in Bloomington, Monroe County, I want if you are ready to support black people specifically, um, let's do it. Let's do it together. In order for you to really see change, you have to be a part of it. And so join us. Um, If you don't want to join us, I think that there's other organizations, too. You know, the beauty of what you have said so far is that you can disagree on a point. Sure. But not see the disagreer as an enemy, which for gosh sakes, that's what the heck's been going on for too, too, too long in this, well, in this country. Sure, but James Baldwin said it best. He said, you can disagree, we can agree to disagree, but if it has something to do with my right and my right to existence, then we have a problem. So we can disagree all we want, but if you don't want my existence to be uh, validated, we got a problem. We're here with Maquiba Reese, the president of Monroe County Branch NAACP, Guy Loftman, who is doing a lot of legal and justice work uh, for the NAACP here in Bloomington, and the prosecutor, Erica Oliphant. Everybody's here. You brought <laughs> you brought some real heavy hitters. Yeah, I, I thought it was important to um, highlight the work that, that's being done in the community. And like I said before, it's really important to know that there are various individuals that's doing the work. And those that are listening, we want you to chime in. So, again, we have a town hall September Saturday, September 9th. Location is the Monroe County Public Library. Time is to be announced. If you want to get more information, email us at mcbnaacp at gmail.com, mcbnaacp at gmail.com. Erica, I want to ask you a question. Yes, sir. Why did you get involved with the NAACP? Uh, You know, I think that I saw how it originally started is I saw Jim Sims speak at a local community event, and he gave a very compelling presentation about the value of the work that the NAACP does. Uh, And so I started attending meetings and then um, from there ended up uh, joining as as a formal member. And then, you know, as I I was a deputy prosecuting attorney at that time uh, in the office here in Monroe County. Um, And then as I, you know, ran for office and became the elected prosecuting attorney, uh, I really tried to pay attention to the things that were being discussed at those NAACP meetings and making sure I was taking to heart some of the issues um, that were being that were being discussed. I wonder if there are people out there who might say, hey, wait a minute, you're an elected public official. Aren't you taking sides by being 
part of NAACP? Yeah, I, you know, I think that as an elected official, particularly one who is a constitutional judicial office here in the state of Indiana, that it's important that I try to do what I can to rectify this historical disparity, this this injustice that's been done, because after all, I do have an ethical obligation to um, to do justice and to make sure that I'm improving the system when I can improve it. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect or I have all of the answers, anything like that. But I think being a part of an organization that is so um, intimately involved with these issues and this work uh, is important to being informed, to um, being held accountable to all of these things. So I, I would argue that it doesn't make me biased, but it helps me to hopefully address some of the bias that's inherent in the system. Well, you know, I'm going to throw it right over to Guy then in that case. Uh, Guy Loftman, how did you and why get involved with the local branch of the NAACP? Hmm. Well, racial justice has been an important part of my life since I was a a kid. When I, I grew up in Newark, Delaware, and attended legally segregated all white schools. Legally segregated. Yes. You know, we forget that in our lifetimes, there was legal segregation. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was one of the kids. Wow. I vividly remember Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I vividly remember the first day our school integrated when mm. I started seventh, uh, seventh grade. Uh, was the first time I ever attended school with black kids. Um, and Ruby Bridges, the, the little girl in New Orleans who, who was walking to school in her white dress with her books and the National Guardsmen escorting her. Yeah. She, on the, uh, when that happened, I remember it, and she became my biggest hero and still is the bravery of that little kid. Did that train of thought come from your family? Well... Uh, my mother grew up in Waco, Texas, uh-huh. in, and I spent a lot of time as a kid in, in Waco, Texas, and in New Orleans, where I had family. So I, I, was, uh, I saw a lot of Jim Crow, uh, and I remember when Brown versus Board of Education came along and my school was going to integrate, my mother drove me down to the black neighborhood in our community of Newark, Delaware, and pointed to this little shack that was the black school and, and, and told me that their books were all the books that were thrown out from the white schools and, and that that's what this was going to, uh, that's what Brown versus Board of Education was saying, that this, this isn't fair, this isn't just. Yeah, I did learn it at my mother's knee. McQueba, it sounds like he's talking about a one-in-a-million parent back then. <laughs> Do you think that the odds are better these days? No, to be honest, because there's legislation that's banning books, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, banning uh, the study of African-American culture. There's books banning the LGBTQIA plus community. There's openly discrimination um, even on the uh, Supreme Court level. And so I think that we are definitely, I wouldn't say moving backwards. I think it's everything is evolving 
and these individuals are put in power um, to focus on white supremacy, honestly. And so I do think that we as a community are doing some impressive work. Like, for example, Superintendent um, Jeff Hauswall is doing things as it relates to anti-racism policy and working on policy to uh, help support the LGBTQIA uh, community because there's huge discrimination in the school system within MCCSC. So, I mean, if you're not getting involved in the school board, go to the school board and make sure you advocate for uh, these just policies because they're doing the work, too. And I'm, I'm incredibly excited to see um, Julius Hanks, who is now the, the newly director for uh, community engagement, do incredible work. And I think he they need to be here, too, because there's different components that needs to be addressed as it relates to racial disparity. It's not a, it's a very complex uh, system. And um, it's uh, it starts from from education to criminal justice. So, no, I think the the question the the answer will always be long winded because it's very complex. Um, and so I, I want us to make sure that we don't see it linear. Everything that is going on in our community and in our country is intersectional at all costs. We can never look at anything linear anymore. We have to look at it in an intersectional lens. Now, Guy Lofman mentioned his family. Sure. Background as to how he got his thoughts together. Yeah. You have a family. I have an incredible family. <laughs> I'm very grateful. 13 so, kids. Let uh, me talk parents. about them. Well, uh, your father was heavily involved in black organizing, and your mother was a community giant. You have yes. said both of these things. Yes. Go to it. Yes, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I might get very emotional because I love my family. I'm so grateful for um, the system that they created to ensure safety, um, peace, love, and harmony. Um, and so, yeah, I'm the youngest of 13. I have nine absolutely beautiful, brilliant brothers and three beautiful, gorgeous, intelligent sisters and a host of nieces and nephews in an entire community uh, that supported us because of the work that my mom and dad did. Um, and so, yeah, I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. My dad was very involved. He was uh, he was actually a, a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to get all of his input because he passed away and I turned 21. And my mom, actually, she passed away when I was 16. But mm-hmm. they gave me some very incredible nuggets to navigate the systems that, you know, that I'm in today. And so um, my mom... My mom was very involved in all the things that we did. She ensured that we uh, centered education. But what I love the most is that they taught us what it's like to be black in America. So we were involved in what's called Saba Academy. Um, so Saba Academy taught us about our black history when the schools didn't. So we went to what's called Saba Academy in, on Saturdays. And it basically was a group of uh, black leaders in the community and parents and they came together. They taught us um, the Black National Anthem, uh, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, they fed us. We had a strong community. We learned about our history. We learned about the colors of the uh, of, our, of the flag. We learned about um, Juneteenth. And that was when I was in grade school. So when I came to Bloomington, I already knew about that because it was very important for our community to come together and, and, and embrace the elders of our community. So that's, that's what I come from. I come from this idea of embracing an intergenerational. It wasn't perfect. Did I want to be there on a Saturday? Absolutely not. <laughs> In retrospect, no. But I'm so grateful that they did it. 
Um, and so, yeah, my mom and dad, they did an incredible job raising 13 kids in, in America. And I'm still impressed by it. And I can't wait to release the book that I'll be writing. But um, I noticed that you're they're writing incredible. a book about this family. I am. I am writing a book. And my brother is also doing some poetry and, and writing some stuff, too. So there might be a couple of a uh, couple of books that's coming out. But I'm actually I'm absolutely incredible. I can't wait to 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 release it. Now, I hope that you don't let this thing lapse or anything like that. I'm eager to read this. You should be. I'm yeah. telling you, the family was absolutely incredible. I don't know how they did it, but I know that they believe. We're believers. Whoever, I mean, you can believe in whatever you want to believe in as a listener. But for us, we believe in Jesus. And I'm so grateful for the relationship that we have and like the importance of faith in our community specifically. Uh, if we want to go back to history, um, faith is what helped the civil rights movement, right? And so I think that... Um, churches need to get involved, right? And so it's important for various organizations to recognize the ins- the insidious disease of racism, and it needs to be discussed in churches. It needs to be discussed in um, various spaces so that we can uh, really do our best to eradicate it, especially in our community. I think we can do it if we work together. Martin Luther King was part of the Southern Christian Leadership He Conference. sure was. He sure was. Dr. King um, was 100% involved, uh, but we got to give a shout-out to Bayard Rustin, who was uh-huh. the organizer, yes. um, because he was incredible with building people together and in, 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 um, in doing the march on, on Washington and getting uh, various what is it groups uh, involved so he i think we need to make sure we give credit where credit is due there's a hundred and a lot of people that was involved with dr king and he's absolutely incredible and and if you are involved in in the community make sure you look out for the dr king a day of celebration that's led by dr gloria howe and a various uh, uh, an amount of individuals that's involved in the city of bloomington's commission and being a union guy myself, I'd like to throw in that labor unions were involved in the original March on Washington. Sure. A. Philip Randolph of the Porters uh, uh, Railway Porters Union okay. was a big mover in that. So all these different people yes. getting together. And I remember seeing those fabulous uh, old uh, news clips of people of every stripe yeah. In August 1963, getting together. Hollywood movie stars. Sure. And uh, people just bring in a brown bag lunch. Yeah. And, and I think the question, the question right now is, what happened? What happened in, in those movements? So many people were there. Yeah. So many people were a part of the progress and the movement. What happened? How did we get here? I think it's important for us to reconcile the the, the history um, so that we can, you know, navigate the, the nuances right now because we really got to answer this question, what happened? Because there was a lot of progress and a lot of promise and how did we get here? So I think that the good, uh, those days were um, filled with civil rights, I mean, giants. Giants. And I can't believe that we are still here today. So I my question to everyone that was a part of that is what happened? Maquiba Reese. Which way is the arrow pointing? I am not. I can't even answer that. I don't think I can answer that. Which way do you want it to point? What do you mean? For justice? Yeah. I want justice. You want justice. Yeah, absolutely. But we're moving a little bit. We white people like to think, hey, we're getting ahead. We're doing it. <laughs> but I think we're we're fooling ourselves. Yeah, y'all got to talk to each other about that. I ain't got <laughs> nothing to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> Y'all got to figure that out. I mean, I mean, there's definitely a lot. There's no, sh- I, I don't want to shame anyone. I don't think that there's, I mean, Brene Brown, she talks a lot about shame. And I'm, I don't think that there's shame that needs to be happening. But there's definitely some type of reckoning that needs to take place for sure. People have to listen. Sure. People have to hear you. People have to hear other white people. White people have to hear other white people who are involved in the work that you're doing as well. Sure. Yeah. I think it's important. I think it's important for us to, you know what, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, say this. We have to pay attention to who we vote for. There's elections coming up, whether it's local state level or national you need to pay attention to that we are a nonpartisan um organization um so we don't favor anyone but we definitely favor those that are for black people you know 2008 barack obama was elected president and a lot of us sat back and said work's done it's all over (laughs) well i mean you know what uh president obama did absolutely incredible things that he needed to do there were some things that people didn't agree with um, but we can go back to Dr. King when he mentioned this idea of going into a burning a burning house. And so I think that the decade long of the Bush administration needs to be assessed before we can go into uh, President Barack Obama's administration in his uh, eight year term. And so we got to look at the dominance of uh, of the of a particular party and a particular focus, but we can also talk about Bill Clinton and the issues that he did as it relates to the three strike rule. Uh-huh. Um, we could talk about so many different things that led up to uh, President Obama and this idea that he was supposed to fix it, but yeah. it really happened before he came. Well, for the last two weeks, we have been speaking with Maquiba Reese, the uh, president of Monroe County Branch NAACP, uh, the legal researcher. Guy Loftman, and the prosecutor, Erica Oliphant. This has been terrific. We could go on for another five, six hours. I think so. But I see certain people looking at their watches (laughs) over here, so I think people have other things to do. I agree. I thank you all for being on Big Talk. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, McQueeva, for inviting me, and thank you for having me here. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Again, This has been the second part of a two-part conversation with our guests. If you missed last week's part one, go to WFHB.org for the podcast of that edition and all the big talks of the last 10 years. I'm Michael Glab, and this has been a production of WFHB Firehouse Broadcasting. Now in its 30th year on air in Bloomington and South Central Indiana.